When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody? So my promise, Thomas impersonation, by the way. That's how he opens up his podcast. <laughs> what is up, everybody? Uh, it is uh, WCW 96, John LaRocca and I covering the time frame from the last pay-per-view slamboree through the Great American Bash. And it's going to be a two-parter because part one is going to be available for free on the Patreon during our free month of July where we have one podcast each week and maybe more we'll see what happens that is free for people to try out and see if they want to subscribe so this is going to be part one is the free podcast for this week on the fight game media patreon and so uh we're splitting it we'll do this one we'll talk about the build to great american bash and on the next one we will cover the great american bash in detail so uh john we last talked that, you know, we were enjoying these one-hour nitros hmm. and smack dab, right? The first nitro is a 90-minute one, and then we go right into two hours. Damn it. Not as, not as fun. No, I mean, uh, not, at least the shows have been pretty decent. You know, they haven't been too bad or anything. But, uh, yeah, I, I know. It was nice to kind of breeze through the... The hour shows, but uh, so far so good. I've been liking the uh, creative of uh, WSO at this point. So to me, it's not too bad yet. <laughs> now, do you think that if they don't have Holland Nash coming in and Hogan turning, like if that angle doesn't exist, what is a two hour nitro? Dungeon of Doom and the horse went even right. up against Hogan. And yeah, they would have had to do something. Like Lex would have probably had to turn. They would have mm-hmm. had to do some stuff because the uh, you know it, right now it's it's still Hogan and Savage. I'm sorry, uh, Flair and Savage. That's kind of carrying like that's like the base of, of the angle. It's yeah. the main angle. Randy Savage is going nuts. Uh, you know they're they're just putting everything against this poor dude. It's just heat on top of heat on top mm-hmm. of heat. And building to the match at uh, Great American Bash that he's not even in, by the way. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But uh, all right. So let's let's start from the end of Slamboree, in which Diamond Dallas Page wins the Lethal Lottery Battle Royal. And they take the title shot away from him. 
What did you get out of their explanation for Diamond Dallas Page not getting a title shot? Well, the explanation was like they they went to replay and he's they can't overturn the battle bull win, but because his one foot a foot hit the ground, right? They saying that he doesn't earn the title shot. I figured they figured like, oh man, we can't have a a WCW World Title match with Diamond Dallas Page at this point, so that's why they put up put Lex Luger in that spot. We'll get to that match because I think it's one of the more anticlimactic matches that you're going to see as a main event in a pay-per-view. And I thought about it. I was like, why not just put Dallas in that match? Because Luger kind of got squashed and it was so anticlimactic. It didn't even really utilize Lex Luger's star power too much because it comes after the uh, Hall and Nash power bombing mm-hmm. Eric Bischoff. And that's really the tone of the show. And it just takes the tone of the show way down. And the giant just kind of squashes Lex. So I kind of thought, you know, you could have put DDP and it would have been fine based on what they were doing. And maybe you save Lex a little bit. Maybe they didn't want, cause Dallas at the time is a heel though. People are starting to cheer the diamond cutter starting to get with that, but maybe cause Hogan maybe said that, you know, he doesn't want giant being cheered. So, cause He's going to be facing the giant, I'm sure, when he returns, was part of the deal. I don't know. You know, I don't, who knows how long the Hogan Nash thing was and Hall thing was planned. You know, they could have had that as a fallback because like Hogan was going to beat the giant. It seemed like they were going with that, like, yeah, that way. You know what? I would, even though DDP is a heel, I still would have liked an interview where he goes, you guys are just trying to hold me back. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I get, I, I, I lose and I have to leave the company. I got to battle my way all the way back from nothing. And then I win this match. You guys take it away from me. I wish, I, I mean, we, I wish I would have heard him something from him. Cause he's pretty much silent and not even really on TV that much. No, no, he's well he, here and there. Not, not, but not featured. I'm assuming as, he's yeah. on WCW Saturday night. Yeah. He's not yeah. on raw that much. But those are taped like a million years. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A nitro, not raw. That's that's what I mean. <laughs> uh, okay, so on uh, May twenty seventh, nitro goes to two hours. The May twentieth, which is the post uh, slambery nitro, goes to ninety minutes. The show is broken into two parts. The first part, which is about fifty minutes, is Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. And I've never been a big fan of Zabisco's commentary because it was really all about him in a Mm -hmm. sense. Like he's still the toughest guy, even though he's sitting at the announcer's desk and he's going to punch people in the face. And, you know, he was the best at X, Y, and Z. Uh, So, you know, I'm kind of whatever uh, on his commentary. Uh, Tony Schiavone is a good host. I don't know if he's a great lead play-by-play guy. I find him to be a good sort of host. Like, if you want someone to host your show, kind of bring you in and bring you out. I think Tony's good at that as a play-by-play guy. Not so much. Uh, And, you know, not like Eric Bischoff is necessarily a good play-by-play guy either, but he knows where everything is going. So he's setting up where 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 the audience is supposed to go. And then, you know, Heenan doesn't necessarily have his fastball anymore, but he's still very entertaining. And so yeah. Bischoff and Heenan take over before the uh, first half is over. And, and they kind of do this thing where fireworks play. And I th- there's a countdown. And I think the first time they did this, 
was the return of the Rock and Roll Express against Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. And yeah. poor Ricky Morton's in the ring, ready to wrestle, and got fireworks behind him, and he's like popping in the back, like, what's going on here? He's not just like 86, <laughs> baby. Look, he was just, he's like super excited. <laughs> uh, so here's a little bit of trivia. So the first time they go to two hours, they actually lose the, the ratings war to, to WWE. And, and the idea here is they get a jump start Mm-hmm. on wwe and uh wwe still wins uh the ratings for that first show um i thought the two-hour format at least I, I would say the go-home show i felt like they found their rhythm yeah. but up until the go-home show they were kind of trying to figure it out still the matches were whatever uh for a lot of them though they start to get a little bit better heading into the great american bash but still, like there was there was some boring stuff. And like I said, it just kind of made me think if if Hall doesn't show up to create this chaos and this conflict, mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering, like, what do they do for two hours? So very lucky, luckily, and maybe maybe they don't do it unless they have Hall and Nash. I'm not sure exactly the timing. I haven't really found anything that says uh, explicitly. It might yeah. be a good question for Big Dave. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, like I think that, you know, there's a feeling out process for these two hours because they had that one hour show. Mm-hmm. That thing was tight. Like they, they were almost they, they had like 75 minutes of stuff to get into 60. So you couldn't really blink. But the, yeah. to, the, to stretch it out to two hours, it did feel like a little bit of stretching. Well, they did give the matches more time with the two hours, which I did like. Like some of the matches were on the one that was a one hour show seemed a little bit rushed. But with a two-hour, there was a little bit room for the guys to settle in and work, you know, yeah. without rushing. Uh, the news-ish, news-ish kind of stuff, uh, as we're heading into the Great American Bash, the most heavily pushed match on the show is Kevin Green and Mongo McMichael against Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. And it's not only about the men, it is also about the women because Ric Flair is constantly talking about Deborah McMichael, almost <laughs> to the point of where you're like, is, is he going to like flash this poor woman? Like, come on, Rick, what are you doing? <laughs> and uh, so that's like the main storyline going in. And, and Savage is on the outskirts and he finds his way in by being the manager of that team. And the reason why he becomes the manager of that team is because Bobby the Brain Heenan decides to come out of retirement. But Bobby says he's not a manager because he's retired manager. And he calls back to the John Madden awards from the late eighties, where John Madden gave Bobby Heenan a Madden award for being a coach. Like, like he, 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 he's the coach of the Madden team, all was Madden a, team coach. That wasn't Saturday night's main event. Was it? I don't remember exactly how that happened. I think it it was just, I think they just did a TV show where the Madden awards would, would come out. Yeah. I was trying to remember too. I was like, God, I don't remember that happening at all, but um, I thought it was great. I liked the idea. I kind of liked how like Bobby Heenan was teasing, like I'm retired and turns them down, walks out comes back but i'm the coach yeah he's he's the coach and he it was kind of cool to see bobby fired up like that like is as a manager again you know i mean a coach excuse me but i liked it yeah he just obviously because association with rick flair from the wwf it just looks he just he just fits right in you know with flair yeah i mean that was uh 
a bit of uh, fantasy booking back in the day. Mm -hmm. Could Bobby the Brain Heenan be better than the Four Horsemen than J.J. Dillon? (laughs) Uh, And so the Macho Man, Randy Savage, decides to be the coach of Kevin Green and Steve McMichael. And Kevin Green's wife uh, and uh, Deborah McMichael were also with that crew, we learn, heading into the Great American Bash. Uh, not a surprise here, but uh, once the Road Warriors kind of figure out the pay scale with <laughs> Holland Nash coming in, they're like, "We're out. We're not. We're not going to get paid so much yeah. less than these guys. So we're done. We're done, Eric Bischoff." All right. So speaking of Scott Hall here, on the five twenty-seven Nitro, the May twenty-seventh Nitro, Scott Hall walks into the into the arena. During a Mike Enos match, who who is Enos facing again? Steve Dahl. Steve Dahl and Mike Enos. This match doesn't even get to a result. Mike Enos is the mauler. Yeah, the mauler. And, uh, you know, he cuts this promo about, you want a war, you're going to get one. Uh, He very much has the Razor Ramon accent. Oh, yeah. Uh, He has the same sort of look, the hair, the same way. And so I can imagine how WWE would be frustrated (laughs) at the assumption that Hall was a WWF wrestler who was challenging Bischoff to a match. I could see why they really got upset because it very much felt like WCW was portraying him as a current WWF wrestler. Did you feel the same way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been a while since I've seen that clip. Other than they always... The full clip that I've always seen, like a little smidgen of it, yeah. throughout the years, but he- heavy with that, you know, Razor Ramon accent that he had. So yes, he d- definitely, I can see why Vince called his favorite lawyer and said, "Hey, <laughs> send him some papers." Okay, now if you are Scott Hall, and if you are a fan of WCW 1991, like I'm a fan of WCW 1991, <laughs> you could kind of squint a little bit and go it's kind of the diamond stud mm-hmm. right it's the same like he had that look he he was like 50 percent there with razor ramon wow the diamond stud and so if you're scott you could say well i created this character when i was in wcw this is not only razor ramon this is a lot of the diamond stud yeah well razor ramon was just the diamond stud look with the just an added accent. Yeah. 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 So he, he comes out twice on this show. They set up the, the last segment of the show for him to come out again. And he says, uh, we're sick of it. Get your three best against our three best. Cause we're taking over. You want a war, you got one. And that, and that's how the, the segment ends. So in the June 3rd wrestling observer, Dave writes that the plan was that this match will end up being the main event on the 7-6 Bash at the Beach pay-per-view from Daytona Beach with Hall, Nash, and likely Lex Luger, who, if it turns out to be Lex, will be revealed was part of the ruse to befriend people with the idea never stated but implied that WWF was behind it all along. Uh, And also with the idea that they might be managed by Ted DiBiase, who had just recently left WWF WWF's emergency storyline put in 
where it was made clear DiBiase is no longer part of the organization, would have hurt or killed the angle if DiBiase was inserted. So it appears if they were even going to do that idea, it's already been dropped. The Mm. WWF threesome would face Sting and Randy Savage and a third partner, either the Giant or Ric Flair. This would likely build to Scott Hall and Hulk Hogan when Hulk returns in August. So that's on June 3rd. We're still over a month away from the unveiling of not only the, you know, the, the third, well, the unveiling of the third guy yeah. uh, who at this point, Dave thought was going to be Lex. Yeah. So uh, razor shows up on the June third or not razor. Scott Hall shows up on the June 3rd nitro and sting confronts him and slaps this brother right in the face. Yeah, <laughs> I cool. forgot about that part. Yeah, that was cool. And then uh, that it's right after Scott flicks the toothpick at him. And then Scott promises that there's a big surprise the next week. Mm-hmm. So around this time, WWF released a legal letter sent to Scott Hall, which had informed Hall that they believed he was infringing on their intellectual property rights by portraying the Razor Ramon character. And Titan would be withholding all future payments, meaning... <laughs> merchandise checks yeah. and the may in your house pay-per-view payoff along with other money not yet paid to him that they owe him until that matter is settled that is in the june 10th wrestling observer newsletter and so uh, in guy evans's nitro book ddp says that he's actually the go-between for scott and kevin like he's talking to Scott and then Scott is talking to Kevin about coming over. And so DDP is playing the middleman here for Eric Bischoff. And I told you this on uh, last episode of the fight game podcast, the original names or at least not even original names. These names were sort of written on the scripts for the yeah. nitros was that Scott Hall was going to be the bad guy. And Kevin Nash was going to be called Axel as a play on the name Diesel. Now, how lucky are we that they did not go with those names for these two guys? Because the cool part was that they coming in as their real names. Yeah. Yeah. They had really cool names, though. I had Scott Blade when I was (laughs) writing out my fantasy bookings as a kid when all this was happening. Scott Blade. And I still don't remember who Kevin Nash's name was. I I don't know. Something something truckish <laughs> um, but uh yeah so yeah that all worked out scott hall kevin ash i mean cool names that was a good idea to go with that because i think axel i mean can you imagine <laughs> so stupid oh you know i know I, I i know exactly what i called kevin ash steel oh wow you went, you went back it's to like his, his master his blaster, old master blaster yeah, yeah all right so kevin nash shows up And he goes, this is where the big boys play, huh? Adjective play. Uh, Kev, play is a verb, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was one of the smartest guys in wrestling at one point. A little bit of a flub there for Kevin Nash in his his first appearance. So Bischoff tells both of them, like, look, you know, show up at the Great American Bash. We'll figure out what we're going to do. And what a great selling point for that pay-per-view. You have all the matches, and now you know that the next big angle, they're going Mm -hmm. to do something on the bash. I thought that was really smart. Yep. 
So Dave says in The Observer, I think they're going to keep the identity of the third member a secret until the pay-per-view. There are things that lead me to believe it may not be Lex Luger after all, which is a mistake. Rumors are flying. It'll be Jeff Jarrett since Vince McMahon on the WWF hotline brought up Jarrett's name with Diesel and Ramon as expecting him to join WCW. Jarrett gave notice to Titan is working out his notice with USWA and he is currently WCW bound. However, his WWF contract doesn't expire until the fall. So it probably won't be him. Dave then writes later that he still thinks Lex is likely. So he thinks he's probably, you know, he, that they're, they're probably telling him information that's maybe not the best information. Yeah, yeah. And he goes to say uh, later that DiBiase and Jeff Jarrett aren't really valid ideas for that third person. So going into the bash, we haven't, we'll talk about the bash segment. Rewatching all of this, what do you think about the whole thing? It's been good. I mean, we brought back a lot of great memories. I remember being super excited. I actually thought they were going to have a match at the Great American Bash when I was younger. Than I did, you know, I, I didn't understand the confrontation. Yeah, I thought it meant match, so we never got a match. But we got a memorable moment for sure. I mean, uh, I was shocked. I remember rewinding that over and over and over again. Um, but uh, I, I love it. I love it. it. Brought back great memories. It just felt like man, you know, Nitro was always cutting edge of like anything can happen and they were on a roll at the sun. All right. So the uh, next thing I want to talk about this big guy, Hulk Hogan here, not on any of the TVs live in the building, but still all over the show. This I did not remember. I did not remember all the video packages with Hogan in them as a like as if we're going to forget that he is mm-hmm. there. And I kind of thought like if the idea from the get go was that he was going to be the third guy, which it doesn't sound like it was like it sounded like he had to really be convinced. And we'll talk about that on on the next uh, lead up to Bash at the Beach. I wouldn't have talked about him at all. I would have made it like the most giant surprise because I mean, they're talking about him. They're showing him he's doing stuff with Sugar Ray Leonard, Shaq. But as a a baby face though, as a baby face. Yeah. So it's, they're talking about him. Kevin Sullivan's talking about, you know, we got to get everything in order or, you know, Hogan's going to come back and, and, you know, tear all this down, you know, what we're building and, they're showing stuff with him and the celebrities. Yeah, they're old videos of like from '94, like yeah. included in that, right? Like Shaq from '94. Yeah, and um, video packages are just random music videos to keep them in people's minds. I think it's good to keep them. I like it. Like we're just expecting to come back to be the conquering hero, and it ends up being the one that you know turns his back on everyone. Or okay, but somebody. here here's why I say that. If he was really going to be the conquering hero, wouldn't he do an actual promo? Wouldn't he like it just feels like a lesser priority for him if he's not even cutting a promo. And and we'll talk about this later, but on the uh, I actually watched ahead on the mm-hmm. Nitro after the Great American Bash, Tony Schiavone goes, "Oh, by the way, Hulk Hogan gave us a call from Hollywood." And he says, if they want a war, 
add me to the list or something like that. Hmm. So not even he doesn't even have time to do a pro. It just seems like such an afterthought for him. And that's why I would have done it as a surprise, because if you don't talk about him at all and then he comes out, you're going to get the same feeling from the crowd, which is, oh, my God, he's the savior. And I almost think that maybe the turn is even more impactful, though. We'll see it when we get when we get there. Uh, But these videos were so cheesy and so (laughs) lame. Oh, of course. And man, like, I can't imagine that, you know, at the time that this was uh, playing very well to their audience. But Meltzer wrote that the Slamboree pay-per-view, which did not have Hogan, was down from that uh, uncensored one, which with that terrible main event. <laughs> so, I mean, that just shows the, the the star power is still there for him when it comes to pay-per-view buys. Yeah, but the also uncensored also had that three cages stacked people, you know, yeah. curiosity of that. The craziness too, of know. that. Yeah, yeah, totally. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, all right. So one person who we've been covering for the entire time uh, that we've started this is Brian Pillman. Yeah. Now, this is a, probably the last time uh, 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 that we're going to talk about him uh, on this show. At least I- I'm almost sure because I'm reading through some stuff. And right around this time is when he does sign with WWF. Yeah. But as we know. He went through that really sickening car crash, which, uh, you know, he was in the hospital. He had to have lots of surgeries, facial surgeries. He got the bad foot, the bad ankle, uh, to the point where he can't really wrestle, right? And he set up this whole thing of him being the free agent between the two companies, even though he was signed with WCW, got Eric Bischoff to give him a formal release, uh, and uh, now he's a free agent to go to WWF. So on May 23rd, he has a meeting with Vince. And really, his reason to get WWF involved is simply to uh, is simply for leverage. He wants to measure Vince's money up against Eric. So he basically he wants to go to Vince, get a dollar value from Vince, and then go to Eric and go, this is what Vince said, to get Eric to bump it up because he doesn't really want to leave WCW. Yeah. Um the uh so on 6 7 so on June 7th he signs a 3 year contract with WWF. Uh he does this without being able to actually wrestle. Now I don't know if he was playing this thing off with Vince Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine Vince watches this dude uh, on crutches and it's just like, oh, he's the guy, right? Um, so WWF wanted him, and that meant, you know, if they wanted him and WCW really wanted him, WWF wanted him more. And that was kind of surprising at the time. And the reason why it's surprising is because 
the key to this whole thing for Brian Pillman was the guaranteed contract. Yeah. WCW gave guaranteed contracts, but they had these 90 day cycles to where if Eric Bischoff thought you were not pulling your weight, he could basically fire you every 90 days. And Pillman didn't like that. He, he wanted, you know, he, that wasn't good enough for him when it came to security. And so what does Vince do is that Vince gives him one of, I don't know if this is the first, I don't think it's the first, but we heard the term downside guarantee contracts for a while. Mm-hmm. I think they still, they technically still do them. WWF still does a downside. Yeah. And the idea is, is you sign a contract and your downside is the minimum amount of money that you are going to make. So let's say you get hurt, you will make a minimum amount of money as your downside. And then you make money based off of the house, mm-hmm. based off of the pay-per-views, based off of, you know, your royalties and, and X, Y, and Z. So, Before Pillman signs this contract with WWE, he agrees to a contract with Bischoff June 1st. It was going to be around a three-year deal, a million-ish over three years. But because of this 90-day cycle, Pillman's still negotiating with Vince because he's like, if I negotiate with Vince... It'll put pressure on Bischoff. He'll get rid of this 90-day cycle, and I'll really just go back to WCW. He also had in his contract that uh, he would have to be flown first class to all of his scheduled appearances. But this is a part of his contract where he was like, you know, that's just a nice thing. That will be something I give up. You know, when, when I yeah. have to actually let, you know, deal, yeah. I'll give that up, but I'm not going to give up the 90-day. So Bischoff refuses to break on either of those two. So Pillman's willing to give up the one, but he's not willing to give up the 90-day deal. Mm-hmm. And so they're at a stalemate at that point. And that allows Vince to get back into the picture. Eric Bischoff, here, here's my question to you ultimately. Eric Bischoff, I don't know if it was because of the injury that he decided that he could not come off of this provision or not. But this actually works out for him in the long run because Pillman can't really, I mean, Pillman does actually wrestle in WWF, but he is a shell of himself as a wrestler. And then ultimately, as we know, in 97, we're talking about raw from last year, from two years ago when we, when we did raw, he passes away. And so my question to you is, Eric Bischoff always kind of gets painted as like this dumb mark in this entire thing. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it pays off for him in that he didn't actually bite. He didn't actually bite for what Pillman wanted. And Vince is the one who bites. Mm-hmm. So who who comes off worse in this deal? Is it Eric for, for getting, I, I guess, getting fooled by the whole thing? And giving Pillman his his release, or is it Vince for buying into the into the hype, Pillman's own hype, of being a game changer, and ultimately he's just a a, a shell of himself. Um, I think one, I think Bischoff just knew, you know, with the injury that he's not going to be the same, and he that's why he didn't want to get rid of that nine day clause. But I think the real person that 
got taken for a fool is probably Jim Ross, who was head of talent relations, who was a big had the relationship with Pillman. Who and Vince from what's Cornette's talked about in his podcast. You know, Vince knows his world. Yeah. He relies on his team to like, you know, I mean, Vince didn't know who uh, Mick Foley was or Cactus yeah. Jack was. Yeah. But it took Cornette and Jim Ross to kind of, you know, champion him to yeah. get him signed. Right. And it wasn't until that interview he did would sit down with Jim Ross that got Vince all excited about him. But I think same thing would probably happen with Pillman here where Jim Ross is like, you know what, this this kid, he's a fighter. He, he can, you know, he'll survive this. He has so much upside. We could do, you know, and you know, Vince is like, okay, I trust you guys. That's why I put you in that position. And then ultimately, it really bit, you know, WWF, WWF in the butt. You know, what what is Cornette's memory from that? What 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 was his uh, thought process on bringing Pillman in after the injury? <sighs> he's probably talked about it a long time ago. I haven't heard anything recently, so I have to go back and the archives and see, but um, I, I'm guessing he was, you know, cause he knew Brian personally, right. Yeah. Worked with him in 1990. Um, you know, everyone knows Brian was a super talented guy, creative guy, obviously. And maybe just figured that he could fight through him. And maybe, I don't know why no one checked medical records. I'm sure they did. Right. They had to check some kind of medical had record, to. but who knows how Billman <laughs> was a manipulator too. So maybe he was able to kind of, Maybe he had some friends in, you know, in the medical field that kind of some doctors some stuff up for him, but you know, but ultimately I think Vince was smart. I mean, sorry, excuse me. Eric Bischoff was very smart here. It's like, listen. yeah, cause he always come, he kind of like people try to play him for the tool in this entire thing. And I'm just reading through the, all of this stuff mm-hmm. going like, he's actually the smartest one out of everybody. Now he does get fooled. Pillman mm-hmm. does fool yeah. him, but at the end of the day, as a businessman, He's the smartest one out of everybody. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, he's he made the right call. I mean, I, I think you and I probably, I mean, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but if we're in that position too and you see his, this guy's in a wheelchair and has a, you know, bag, he's, you know, on in, in a uh, tube in his leg and stuff. I mean, are you, do you really want to take that 90 day clause away? No, you want to keep that because if he can't that's go, it's there. that's what's there. It's like, okay, dude, but, and you know more power to Pillman that got that that guaranteed deal from the WWF. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so um, those are the, those are the major themes of uh, of going into Great American Bash. Now uh, these nitros, a couple of things stand out to me, and I wanted to ask you some questions about some of these matches, and, and more so just kind of the the people, because with the two hour show, you can take more chances on talent putting some guys on television, and mm-hmm. these guys weren't not on TV, but fire and ice. Hmm. I'm watching now, you know, I'm sure I'll see as we go through the rest of this year in WCW, I'm sure I'll see some stuff, but I'm looking at those guys and I'm like, those guys are money. Yeah. Like they have that match with the Steiner brothers on the 520 nitro (laughs) goes to a double count out. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this was like so much fun. It actually got Rick and Scott to be Rick and Scott again, you know, yeah. the, the, the match. Cause they're there with two big beefy dudes hitting the hell out of each other. What, what do you think about fire and ice in, in this era of WCW? I like, I liked them two big dudes, you know, that can move, you know, um, I was always Scott Hall fan and an ice train I thought was always fun. Cause he was, 
so big, but he can move so like a cat, you know, and they're doing, you know, leapfrogs and, you know, quick power slams. And you tell he's green, obviously. But I think, unfortunately, what caused the demise of that team is Ice Train's immaturity, mm-hmm. which uh, had Scott Hall, uh, Scott, excuse Scott Norton wanting <laughs> out of that deal. Okay. So, um, all right. Another. Uh, another uh, guy who who we see, uh, former WWF uh, main eventer against Hulk Hogan in, in 1990, John Tenta. He was the shark, and he loses to the giant. And the giant is on a roll here. He, he I mean, he's putting everybody away. Yeah. And he beats the shark, and the big boss man comes out and shaves half of the 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 shark's head. So he's got half of the you know that long scraggly bald hair, and then the other half is completely shaved. And the shark goes, "You know what? My name is John Tenta. I am not the shark." And they have this feud, and I just thought, you know, we are six years after John Tenta's peak in uh, in WWE WWF. Now he still did stuff. You you know they were the the yeah. he was uh, the earthquake natural and disaster. typhoon the natural disasters, but that was really his 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 height of, of of fame, and so as John Tenta facing the boss man, it just felt to me like, man, if you want to show us that a lot of your roster is just old WWF guys, like this is the feud to show people that you have a lot of old WWF guys on your roster. Yeah, I mean they can still kind of go. It's just. You know, things were changing at the time. I kind of would have sent John Tenta to, to New Japan as they were, you know, had a relationship there. I thought he would have been good there. He might not have gone because of his loyalty to Baba, but then again, he ended up going to uh, working for Tenru. So maybe he would have gone to New Japan, you know, at that time. But, um, but yeah, I, I like Tenta. As you can tell he's got heavier too, you know, as yeah. well. He's also not younger as, I mean, he's still young, like young, like he looks older, but he's younger, but, you know, that being that size and the wear and tear, the travel and et cetera, it just ages him faster. It is body wise, not his age, obviously. So we talked about the Eddie Guerrero and Ric Flair match on uh, the mm-hmm. Fight Game podcast. That was our first break it down segment. So if you are a subscriber there, you can go back a few weeks and, and listen to our breakdown of that match. Uh, what did you think about? So on the, the first two hour show, Lex Luger comes out against this big dude named max yeah i love max yeah like i I was like oh this is a laraca guy right here what <laughs> who, who is max and like i think he shows up in the dungeon of doom at some point uh at the great american bash right he's like he does like a run-in or something yeah he's part of the du- do you don't remember max muscle with tdp with the long I hair kinda, had, like, i don't really remember that this is like 90 uh 95 is a diamond doll Dallas Page and Max Muscle was like the big uh, meaty bodyguard type, but he was like, you know, a guy that Dallas Page would kind of bow browbeat, you know, because he's kind of he's just a dumb jock. Yeah, and you you thought they're gonna build to this big Bayface turn with him, they just never never really happened. But uh, you know, I used to like it when DDP would just be like, "Oh, he, oh come on, man!" He's like, he would what? You know, like it was. It was <laughs> It was cool, you know, and I one of those like, I thought they could have like uh Brian Cage's character. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. 
<laughs> I think Max would have been pulled it off better, but uh, uh, yeah. But and then after that, they just kind of didn't have nothing for them to do. A power plant guy, I think, and then they put him in the Dungeon of Doom as Max. They could, you know, and then maybe because he couldn't, maybe they had to change Max Muscle because they probably didn't have the. I wonder if they got a lawsuit on that one. Oh yeah, because of the little uh, little toys, right? The muscle. Wrestlers? No, no, no. Wasn't there? A, wasn't it like a uh, workout? Uh, oh, was there? Yeah, I don't know. A, a store, I think. Like a Max yeah, Muscle. I, like I, I just know, remember those I little don't... toys. The the muscle. Toys. Oh, muscles. Yeah, which I had tons of those. I love those things. But uh, <laughs> um, no, there was Max Muscle. You know, like a GNC kind of deal. I think it was. Mm, oh, okay. Uh, and then another guy who comes in. He has one match against Brad Armstrong. Bobby Walker, he's running, on the jumping to the top rope, <laughs> slipping all over the place. Bocci Walker. Yeah, crazy athleticism, but everything has like a high degree of difficulty, and he can never pull it off. Isn't that Thunderbolt Patterson's kid? You know who it is? And then when they had the Thunderbolt Patterson? Mm. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I. I was. Uh, I'm. I'm hoping to learn uh, the, the lineage here, but yeah, I'm just like, man, this guy's running, jumping out of the gym, but he can't hit anything correctly. No, he does this all the time, and then he's one of the guys that won that lawsuit, the racism lawsuit against the right. uh, WCW right. and Turner. That's right. And like, he just didn't get pushed because he he wasn't good. He was a an athlete. He's athletic looking and could do some athletic stuff, but. Him slipping on ropes and falling on his ass is like every time I saw him wrestle, I feel like. And he didn't talk and like la- his uh, dad or uncle, whoever he was laid to, Thunderbolt Patterson. And the last person I want to mention is because just because I popped for it, because I didn't, I, I didn't remember it, is uh, the June 10th, so the go-home show for Great American mm. Bash. Jim Powers shows up <laughs> yeah. to face DDP. I was so excited to see Jimmy Powers. And he did, and they had a good match, right? Yeah, it was a it was pretty fine. solid match. Fired up, the crowd was into him. Uh, but ultimately, he's the same Jim Powers, and he just, you know, he was there <laughs> to put the guy over. But you know, not let I me. Mean, I don't say that as a negative. I think he did his job really well. You know. Yeah. No, he's fine. It, it was. It yeah. was just cool to see him again. At least, okay. Uh, at least he looked like he was a, a job guy. Or mid card bay face, or not even lower mid card bay face, or whatever. He really wasn't just a job guy, but he looked like an athlete. Nowadays, like when a wrestler on television faces a jobber, it's always like they have a list of guys in the back, and like, let's get the guy that looks like he should be selling tickets here, not the, the guy skinniest that... guy. Yeah, and it's a joke, yeah. you know. I, I hate that. All right, so here's the lineup for the Great American Bash that we will talk about in part two. Uh, the we have three pre-show matches, which would have been the main event matches: Rocco Rock against Jerry Sags, VK Wall Street against the aforementioned Jim Powers, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Duggan against Disco Inferno, mm-hmm. and then the opener: Steiner Brothers against Fire and Ice, Conan against El Gato, uh, <laughs> who was his? Was it Pat Tanaka under the mask? Mm-hmm. And tiger mask with the tiger mask mask on. <laughs> what the hell? DDP against Marks Alexander Bagwell. Dean Malenko against Ray Mysterio Jr. John Tenta against Big Bubba Rogers. Chris Benoit against Kevin Sullivan in the Falls Count Anywhere match. Very famous match. Uh, Sting against Lord Steven Regal. And then the tag team match 
Ric Flair and Arn Anderson against Kevin Green and Steve McMichael, and then the Giant against Lex Luger to end the Great American Bash. So we'll be back with the next episode, and we'll talk about the full show, the Great American Bash, and uh, then, you know, we took a little while to come back for this one. Uh, We're going to try and get back within a couple of weeks for Bash at the Beach because we want to kind of catch up. I was out in Vegas, and then we had the holiday creep up on us, so that kind of pushed back our timeline. But we'll get the Bash at the Beach done pretty quickly after this, and then we'll try and catch up in the to be in the normal time frame uh, uh, with these shows. So, all right, uh, we'll see you in part two for John LaRocca. I am Double G. See you when we see you. Peace out. This is part two of our look at the time frame of Slambury to the Great American Bash 1996. It's our WCW 96 Patreon exclusive, though we made our last episode free to anybody who wanted to check it out. And if you decided to come back and and listen to us review this show as a new Patreon, thank you very much if you are have been a Patreon. Thank you very much as well. So, John LaRocca, we're about to talk about the Great American Bash 1996. And when I watched this pay-per-view, my thought was, this show is, you know, it's better than the, the last two shows for sure. But then when I went back into the research and was reading Dave's recap, he put over both of the angles of uh, Mongo turning heel and becoming a horseman and the, you know, the next step in Holland Nash over as two of the best pay-per-view angles up until that time in 1996. And if you kind of look back, you know, pay-per-view, uh, at least for uh, wrestling, you got to, you know, we're going back to, you know, 86, 87 time frame. And they're not really doing a whole lot of angles because the angles are done on the Saturday night's main event or on some of the TV. And really, the pay-per-views are a culmination of those feuds. But as we lean into this monthly pay-per-view rhythm that the WCW has, they have the space to do angles on this show to lead to TV which is uh, an interesting way to think about it because that is kind of how pay-per-view is done today. Like a lot, you know, we look at it as, oh, you know, we're going to see all this culmination. But yeah, they still need a hook for you to go and watch TV the next time. So I didn't think of it that way, but reading it back, I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense why everybody is kind of into this show and also into what is coming out of this show. Did you get that feeling as you watched it back? Um, when it comes to angles on a pay-per-view, I think WCW slash NWA did those more than WWF did. Like WWF kind of culminated with the pay-per-view, a lot of their stories. Um, I'm trying to think of any earlier WWF pay-per-views that kind of ended with an angle to uh, lead to the next, you know, TVs. But traditionally, NWA, WCW did angles to lead to more house show business or hopeful yeah. for mouth, like, you know, Luger, Flair, Bash 88. Um, I could let's try to think sting Sid Vicious with the fake sting, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, 
they always had some kind of closing angle sting flare scorpion uh, black scorpion deal you know so yeah um but so the w story did what they did two big ones here one bigger than the other but still really well executed of course so the other one is uh and this is uh you know in retrospect this is also kind of a big deal at the time though when you already know what the story is you know maybe not so much but dave also pointed out chris benoit beating kevin sullivan and arn anderson teasing that he's there for sullivan when instead he Mm -hmm. turns on sullivan and that cements benoit as the horseman as a member of the horseman yes yeah that was great that was a tremendous angle because they've been teasing it back and forth and they kind of put benoit on the high this is basically this was actually benoit's coming out party for wcw i mean he had some good matches on television you know matches eddie guerrero that match with randy savage that we both love that i always love that match yeah and then uh and then um but this was like you know they actually put a spotlight on him and he and they delivered he delivered i think that's the best match on the show uh, depending on possibly. what you think of Ray and, and Malenko. Yeah, that's where I kind of have that, the best match on the show. But Benoit and Sullivan is like the perfect – well, it wasn't done as much back then, you know, on, you know, the yeah. fighting through the stands and going up to the, the arena area. So, the, you know, but what made it – they do it now every – Every show almost, right? It seems yeah. like that, especially in yeah. AEW. You got to have one of everything yeah. on a pay-per-view these days. But what those but what's missing today in a lot of the match, a lot of stuff like that, is Benoit, the intensity that Benoit and Sullivan have in that match. You know, all safe. They were, you know, they weren't potatoing each other. I mean, I mean, I mean I'm sure they're, you know, things were snug, but, you know, it wasn't like what people think it, like a lot of people think it was. I mean... Yeah, it there, was just there's very a, physical. There's, there's a note in the Observer saying that for Monday's television, they actually used makeup to accentuate mm-hmm. and make the fans think that they actually hurt each other when in reality they didn't. Yeah, I think I remember Benoit coming out with like a black eye or <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So, but yeah, this is I, I really enjoyed this pay-per-view. And I was you, you got me thinking of a take it home podcast episode after watching. Oh, this there pay-per-view. you go. Because I was go. like, where does this rank, like, in my top 10 WCW pay-per-views? Yeah. And I was, like, really thinking because there's some some years of, you know, yeah. 95 kind of stands out to me. Like, probably not going to – anything in that, in that year is going to make it on my list. But so I started thinking, I'm like, God, do I have to go back and watch everything? But I think <laughs> I might do, like, a, a little look back, like the cards and see. I thought mm-hmm. I might do a, a top ten from uh, ten to one at the on the next. That, yeah, that would be that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it kind of goes with this show too, you know. I yeah, from totally. this shows. Yeah, it's it's related to what yeah. we're talking about. Okay, um, what did you think about the announcing? Because as I'm reading the Observer <laughs> back, Dave thinks this is the best job Dusty's done in this run and throughout this show. I just want to bang my head with all the dusty things that he's because essentially he's being the nice baby face dusty. Mm. But a lot of times when you're watching these matches, he's trying to be charming to the audience and get himself over rather than the match necessarily. Well, you you know, you get, you put dusty in that position. He's going to, he's going to do his, do a good job getting everyone over, but 
Dusty's in the Dusty business, right? Yeah. But I thought it was fine. Nothing really stuck out other than a few moments that I got a chuckle at, but nothing, (laughs) not like he would get later on, I think, you know. I I do, I will admit to very much enjoying when he calls Big Bubba Rogers Bubber for whatever reason. (laughs) It makes me laugh. It makes you smile. I like there's a match, I think it was, uh, they made a reference to Jay Leno. Jay Leno saying something. And then Dusty's like, "Well, I've Jay Lo about say that about say that you know, Jay Lo said something about you. That's a big deal." He's like, "He's like, he's like, when I say something about Jay Leno, it's a big deal." Or something <laughs> like that. It's pretty funny. All right, let's go through the matches on this show, uh, and then we're gonna play our favorite game that we love playing, which is guess the star ratings. And you, 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 you can guess Dave's star ratings pretty well. Uh, so yeah. that you know, you're usually you're usually good. And, and when and when you're off, uh, of course, you, you you wonder what Dave was smoking when he was watching. <laughs> that match. All right. So the you know we mentioned in the last episode we kind of did the rundown, and I guess the reason why Rocco Rock and, and Jerry Sags was a singles was because. Uh, Johnny Grunge was hurt, so they sent Brian Knobs to the back, and they just did the one-on-one with mm-hmm. uh, Rocco Rock pinning Jerry Sags in less than two minutes. I guess uh, Johnny Grunge broke his thumb in uh, a couple of weeks prior. Well, he worked on it like a Nitro during that Nitro, because remember, his, I think they had like a all-out brawl, right, mm-hmm. match, and... Johnny got Johnny Grunge was definitely working with the with the taped thumb and then yep. the wrist too. So I guess it was maybe further yeah. injured it in that match. Yeah. Uh VK Wall Street, Mike Rotunda pins Jim Powers with the Samoan drop in three minutes seven seconds. And in the final pre-show match, Hacksaw Jim Duggan pins Disco Inferno mm. with a clothesline in which Dave calls a total squash. Yeah. Uh so the opener. Uh, I, I like this match again. It wasn't quite as good, I don't think, as the one on Nitro. Maybe just because that Nitro one was just just 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick and Scott Steiner beat Ice Train and Scott Norton in 10-29. Uh, more of a Japanese sort of strong style kind of match with the, with the Steiners, you know, we're, we're doing around that time. And then, what were they thinking trying to get Scott Norton to take the Frankensteiner to lose this match. <laughs> I think he's taken it before, but that might've been in 94, 93. Yeah. Um, I, this match is great. I, I really enjoy this match. You know, we, I like this stuff, the big guys throwing each other around hard hitting. I like both teams a lot. The funny, there was a, <laughs> my favorite dusty calls. I'm glad he called this too. Cause I, I called it when I saw it is like towards the finish. Rick tags Scott and but Scott's like in the wrong corner. Mm. And then and he, and he even does like there's like, oh man, it's getting crazy. They're not they're even tagging in the opposite the wrong corners or something like that. It was just <laughs> right that was right right before it led to the, the Frankensteiner. Um I thought Scott Steiner was pretty awesome in this match. His selling particularly, like like he took that Samoa drop from Scott Norton and he started clutching his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh shit! Did he really mess this shoulder up?" Because like he immediately rolls out to the floor, which is usually a sign that it's a legit injury, yeah, right? Yeah. But it was just part of that, you know, part of what they're going to start you no know, heat on his shoulder, and I thought that was great. I mean, I I was like, "Oh shit!" How to rewind it? Like, I'm like, "No, it looks safe," <laughs> like you know. And then um, I thought he was great. So I, you know, this match for me, 
I'll give this three and a half stars. Dave Meltzer gave the match three stars. Come on, dude. Not just kidding. <laughs> I have a star. Um, this just, you know, my, my memory of the Steiner brothers in 1996 were that they were washed up. And they are not washed up. No. They no. are really, really good. That You might be thinking 97. I think Maybe. by, like, right? Wasn't it like by, like, no, they're still cool in early 97. I think by the second half of 97, Scott started wearing that back brace. And he was getting bigger. <laughs> he just, yeah. Like he stretched his body to like ungodly limits. Scott's going to get a, a main event on on Nitro, the, the Nitro following the show. Does he? He just, did they have a a main event? with He got a main event with who? Was it Hawk? We saw too as well? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. The second match is Conan retaining his U.S. title, pinning El Gato who we mentioned last uh, episode, who was Pat Tanaka, in 6.03 after a powerbomb and a jackknife cradle. Dave wrote that uh, Conan was using moves uh, that the the Lucha audience would know, like submission moves, but the American audience wouldn't know. And then Tony and Dusty don't know, so the Americans still don't really know what's going on in some of this. Uh, but uh, but yeah, what uh, would you think about Conan pinning the 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 cat pat pat the cat tanaka <laughs> um it was an okay match i think it was conan looked better in this match i think because pat tanaka more the u.s style kind of kept it kind of together you know um he knows how to do lucha style too and worked well with conan not like um, when he told me that uh the one man gang was not a nice guy yeah yeah <laughs> um I didn't understand why they had Pat Naka in a mask, or was there was there another another guy for the El Gato gimmick? And they, and why is he wearing a damn tiger mask? Mask like that was <laughs> very strange. Uh, Pat Naka is interesting. I, I like Pat Naka as a worker, but then you start hearing all these stories about his, you know, carnyism. It's like, yeah. but um, I gave this match a star and a star and three quarter. Dave had it at two. Okay. All right. We got to talk about this Sting interview. <laughs> uh, Sting lost his place in this interview, but the interview itself was also basically about how Steve Regal might be gay. Yeah. And it does not play at all. It, I'm not even sure it played back then. Uh, you know, we are in 1996. You're only, you know, four years away from uh, from the 2000s. And so it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of, I was kind of surprised that's the angle that he went with Regal's mannerisms because uh, at the same time, Regal is a, a pretty tough dude, right? Regal's tougher in, like, if you wanted to say in real life, yeah. you know, Regal's tougher than almost everybody there. And so I thought it was a weird, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to put your your opponent over for the mountain that you are about to climb, and you're going to win this match. And so your whole uh, your whole promo is to basically call him a pansy, and I did not get that at all. Yeah, especially after what set up this match, the the smacked in the face, and during the contract signing and all that stuff, it kind of kept it kept it more focused on that. This I just felt like it was one of those inmates kind of running the asylum and just mm-hmm. doing what they want. And 
and Mays get trying to get a chuckle out of Mean Gene and you know Mean Gene too as well. He, I don't know, he drives me nuts sometimes with his like you know his uh, conclusion of the interview when he has to look back to you know I don't know I thought it was kind of silly but yeah. And so Dammy Dallas Page, who we talked about in the last episode, how you know they kind of just pushed him to the side and we're like. He's like, oh, well, is DDP going to say anything? Well, no, he's just going to keep winning matches, which is, I, I'm sure that's what the the thing was. It was like, no, don't worry about it. You know, you're not going to get this title match, but you're going to be, oh, we're going to keep having you win all these matches. And, maybe they just had a fear that maybe they had the layout and they had the world title match going on last. And maybe they just thought, like, people probably start leaving, you know? Yeah. Like, possible. they need, a, need someone that's going to be on paper a threat to the Giants' world title. So he retained. I didn't even know that this was up for grabs. His Lord of the Rings ring. Uh, I don't think it discontinues too often after this. Yeah, pinned Marcus Alexander Bagwell, and you know, in in uh, nineteen ninety six, Bagwell's really good, but he's kind of paying the price from his previous uh, gimmicks uh, as you know the young guy and American males, and and so you can't really take him seriously. But like as a wrestler, he's actually really good. And uh, DDP tried to get some heat in the beginning of the match by because they're in Baltimore, mm-hmm. and and you know uh, Cal Ripken is is the hero uh, of the Orioles, and he called him Carl Ripken, so that's how that's how he got heat. That was today's version of you know going into uh, San Francisco and saying, "Oh gosh, the 49ers are terrible." Uh, so uh, DDP wins again, and he's. Getting the diamond cutter over, man. It's just you know, who could think it? You win with your finisher. Finisher's going to be over, and yeah. uh, crowd is starting to dig it. Uh, at this point, I think they're still kind of, kind of loving the finish rather than loving DDP. But it kind of mm-hmm. works hand in hand at some point. Yeah, it's like Jake the Snake. You know, like he was a bad guy, but then they, you know, they cheered a DT, and then DT got cool. So. The DT made the guy cool. Well, of course, Jake was just a phenomenal worker too. But um, this match was good. Marcus Bagwell is a good worker. Um, you know, kind of lost in the shuffle right there. But I think he's, yeah. the, I think he's just in the is. I think he's in a good position. Like he's just a mid card Bayface guy. I found it funny that they uh, this happened must have happened on WWE Saturday night that they the American males flipped the coin to see who faced Dallas Page for yeah. the the ring apparently. Uh, but yeah. Good match. Um, I'm going to give it two and a half. It was exactly two and a half. Yeah. All right, Dean Malenko, Ray Mysterio Jr. This is uh, Ray's like first shot to uh, be a baby face, uh, light heavyweight, cruiserweight, whatever you want to call it, draw. And Dean as the champion, as the heel, the style of this match was more to do a technical match rather than play to Mysterio's strengths as a high flyer. Mm-hmm. Um, Dean is awesome. He's fantastic. But I do think that they should have done a little bit more with uh, Ray's flying, especially since Dean was going to win the match, obviously. But I would have loved to see a little bit more, a little bit more of, oh, my gosh, is this young kid going to beat the champion in his first match in? Uh, and, you know, and then then Dean won. And he he got the win. Powerbomb, legs on the ropes. Uh, 
And uh, I don't know, just Ray, like you look at Ray now, obviously, and you go, wow, that was Ray's first WCW match. It was good, but the Ray that would soon would soon show is like a super charismatic guy. And he was just, I don't know, maybe he's nervous or, or the match layout just wasn't built for that. But uh, really good match. I, I just was kind of surprised that Ray did not show what he would eventually show. Yeah, I, I mean, I love this match. I thought it was a lot better than I remembered. I remember it being a good match, but I, I like the story they told. I like, like Demon Linko's like perfect opponent for Rey Mysterio. They have a great series of matches in '96. Um, there's there's more than just three, but there's like a nice trilogy. You know, I think I think the next one is going to be on the very next Nitro. Um, is it or is it on July seventh or something like that? Whatever that, that whatever whatever that was. But anyways, whatever that one from Universe Studios, if we're going to, have to go over there soon. But there might be one. There might be one. But I thought that match was uh, fantastic. I loved the story. I mean, Ray, Ray came out there. And no one knew who he was. They saw yeah. this little kid in a mask. But I heard more laughter than. <laughs> and then the crowd was kind of like. They watched and kind of ooh and out of here and there when Ray would do and move around. But I thought it was great because as Dean held him down and the match kept going longer and longer, fans started getting behind him. Ray Mysterio, this underdog, this kid's still hanging in. And finally, he made that, they built it up great to, when he started making that comeback, started really start let loose. And then Malenko. You know, pulled the rug out from under and cheated to win. I thought that was fantastic. To me, this is like a four and a half star match. Dave Meltzer rated it as four stars. Yeah, I thought I thought five star. I mean, when it comes to like legendary match, because not the match itself, but just Ray's performance. What happened? You know, what this led to him getting the contract, right? Or I'm I'm sure he had the contract, but this led to man, this kid could be something, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and. Can you imagine him that go walking in the locker room that night, first night, right? And then like he's on the pay per view, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, John Tenta pinned uh, Big Bubber uh, in uh, in five minutes and twenty four seconds with a power slam. Uh, you know, it was it was fine. They didn't get a lot of time. Uh, I still have an issue with uh, John Tenta's character. <laughs> And him being the baby face here, and you know we're supposed to have some sympathy for him, uh, but you know it was like I said, it was a match of former WWF Hogan enemies, right? Like, and and you know yeah. that that's shorting uh, Big Boss Man uh, Bubba Rogers a little bit because he was awesome, but especially when he was younger. But that's kind of how how you see this match in 1996. You're like, oh. These are guys who, you know, 10 years ago, you would just, and and even in, in the earthquake, you know, just six years ago, you'd just kind of pit a, as a Hogan opponent and and do the whole, you know, just, just run house shows and, and and they just do matches. Like, that's kind of what it looked like in 1996 to me. Yeah, for Tenta, I, you know, that shark gimmick really hurt him big time. You know, it's kind of hard to come back from that. Uh, still a good worker. I thought this match is probably better than, People thought at the time, I thought they worked really well together. Obviously, I know they worked together before in a WWF, but but like just setting up, feeding Boss Man's move, Tenta when he was selling, like in the position for everything. Uh, <laughs> I liked it. Um, I'm going to give it a solid two stars. It was one star. 
Dave. <laughs> okay. Now, this is my favorite match of the show. Chris Benoit and Kevin Sullivan. And it is exactly for the reason why you mentioned, which is Chris Benoit and, you know, this is this would be really who he was, just his intensity and the craziness. And you're going up against the guy who was the former craziest, you know, and if you go back to Sullivan's career. And this is a brawl that goes into the bathroom. Uh, there were real people in the bathroom, I think, even using the bathroom. <laughs> and, you know, they were using the, the doors in the bathroom as weapons. Uh, Sullivan hitting Benoit's head. Um you know, garbage can stuff, and then they go back into the ring. I think that actually, I think Benoit like took a spill down the stairs or something. Yeah, right? yeah, the old tumble down the stairs, which Cactus Jack would do or Sabu would do, and they got crazy as Chris Benoit doing that too. <laughs> but they bring a table into the ring, and Benoit perches it on the top rope, and he does a superplex uh, off the top rope on Sullivan. And uh, I think that was the pin. Was that the pin? Yes. So we got a superplex pin. That's really cool. I uh, mean, that, that's a transitional move number three in today's wrestling. Yeah. Now people are picking any guys up into like Falcon arrows, right? <laughs> um, I mean, there's nothing bigger than that, you know, at that point. So they had to go home there. Uh, Benoit took a really nasty spill on top of his head, though, because he, during that superplex, because. So the, the table was just on the top rope. So it straddled on the top in the corner and as like almost like a platform. And they did a great spot where uh, Benoit charged that Sullivan over backdropped Benoit and he land on the, he, you know, land up on the, on the table. Sullivan followed up there. Turn, that's when it turned into a superplex. But Benoit, because of the way the table was, he knew he can't, sit at the edge of the table because there's a chance that it could tip over and they mm-hmm. would just go crash it down. So he had to be more, more um, in towards the, the turnbuckle of the t- side of the turn, you know, opposite end of the, the tables. So in doing so, he had to go all the way out. So Sullivan can clear and he can clear his back. Won't hit the, hit the table too. And in doing so he toppled over and, went all the way over, like almost like a 360. It was kind of, it was nuts. It was nuts, but he went home from there. So that was cool. But um, great match. I'm going to say, I'm going to give this, it's a different match, but I feel like the same star rating. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go four and a half as well. Dave also gave it four. Yeah. Uh, so this is where after the match, Benoit keeps beating on him. And then Arn Anderson comes in and they tease that Arn Anderson's actually going to grab Benoit. He actually pushes Benoit away. But instead, they put the boots to Sullivan, and the crowd uh, is really into this. Really into this, and this is where uh, Bubba and Max and Meng and the Barbarian come out, and uh, they run Anderson and Benoit Benoit off. And then later, uh, Anderson does an interview where he's all sweaty, mm-hmm. and he's actually like in like it's it's weird because when you have the women next to uh, Rick and Arn and Chris, the women are only there so that they are on camera, but yeah. it's so crowded 
that Arn can't kind of get in to where he's not blocking the women. So he kind of turns to the side. He's like, maybe if I get skinny, I, you, you, we could see them. But no, like him and Benoit are trying to position themselves in this shot to where you could still see yeah. uh, woman and, and Elizabeth. So it was a little, little awkward, but Arn was awesome in this interview. Yeah. Great post-match angle. They've been teasing it for a while. This, that Arn Anderson was kind of like the peacemaker between the Dungeon of Doom and the Horsemen, particularly Sullivan and Benoit. And, you know, they cemented, you know, the Horsemen are together and unified. So, yeah, it was awesome. And the crowd went nuts for that. Sting and Steve Regal. This is interesting because it actually... You know, by having Regal in this match with Sting, it kind of levels him up, right? He's been uh, somebody in the mid card who's been very impressive, and he's got a unique character. And he had that great match that uh, that we had talked about on a previous episode, uh, where they were uh, was it the parking lot or whatever? Yeah, yeah, that was an awesome match. And so now he kind of levels up, and he's in the you know one of the top matches, which was really cool. And this entire match is Regal beating on Sting and doing all the things that he does, all all of his wrestling stuff that nobody can counter, just to set up this great comeback for Sting to win with the Scorpion. But I really like this match too. I thought, you know, it, the, there I'm sure there are parts of it today where you're watching and, and people go, oh, you know, this this long spots where this could be boring. But I liked it because I knew, you know, I knew when you're working with someone like Sting, the whole idea is just for his comeback, and they made it as big as possible. Yeah, this match is really good. Um, Regal's phenomenal. I think they, you know, Sting was on this pay review, so they needed him to work with someone. They and they gave him someone really good to work with, and Regal's character just works. You know, like it's going to get heat. Uh, And I thought it's just. I thought it was awesome. I thought I, I, I love this match, but this match I would probably give three and three quarter. I'm sure Dave had three and a half. All right. Dave gives credit to Terry Taylor for training Steve McMichael and Kevin green. Uh, and uh, you know, the first match of both guys could have been disastrous, but that's why you have Rick and Arn in this mm-hmm. match. So that it's not disastrous. And this was well practiced. Yeah, and it was it was good stuff. They they didn't do anything that they couldn't do, and you utilize the athleticism of, of Kevin Green and his fiery personality. I thought all that stuff worked really well, and there was even a tease early on. Was it Shivani who said that when McMichael said, "Why? How could you leave the Bears to join the Packers?" And he was he said something to the effect of the only thing that can make me leave is more money. And so they they give that away in the beginning, right before the match even starts. And that is the story of this match. Uh, Deborah McMichael and Tara Green, they uh, argue with woman and Elizabeth and they go to the back. And then when they come back, uh, Deborah McMichael looks is dressed like woman and Elizabeth. So you're like, oh something's going on here mm-hmm. and uh then you know savage and heenan are, are obviously there they're you know they're they're there ringside and bobby's running away from savage <laughs> the whole time and then uh benoit comes out uh lays out randy uh and kevin green's in the ring and he's reversing a figure four deborah Mc- deborah mcmichael has a, a suitcase as well and she convinces her husband to turn heel. 
and uh, he uh, he hits Kevin Green over the head with the suitcase, puts Flair on top for the pin, and then he opens the suitcase and puts on his Four Horsemen T-shirt to become the fourth member of the Horsemen. And Dave also gives credit to Kevin Sullivan for laying out the angle of this match. And uh, and yeah, so your Four Horsemen are now complete. Yeah, I'm not liking this. Not not no, not liking that. The angle's great. The match is very good. Um, not liking that Mongo was a full horse of a member. Um, but this yeah, because he doesn't like he he doesn't really fit who they are. He's just he's uh, a famous guy essentially. He fits. He doesn't fit them who they are for us as wrestling fans on television. But if you remember the Four Horsemen DVD documentary that WWE produced, Flair said that. He was definitely a horseman when it came to the going to the bars and, <laughs> and partying. Ah, that's a good DVD. I don't know if I've watched that one. That's a yeah, good one to, to look up. That's, I remember, like, put it all in perspective at that point. You know, like, oh, that's what it was. You know, Flair just loved Mongo and uh, he could keep up with him. So basically, and um, I thought this match was really good. Obviously, it's well practiced, the candid out, but like, I think Kevin Green would have been a natural pro wrestler, you know, especially in the eighties, like with when he had the long hair and stuff too. I like, know why did he cut it? <laughs> I don't know. Does Carolina have a certain? I don't know. Is it like the the Yankees? You know, you got camera. Because I remember when he was on the Niners, he had the long hair. He was yeah. only on the Niners for the one year. I wonder if it was the the Carolina rule or something like that. I the one of my memories of Kevin Green is um, the the Niners had a quarterback named Jim. Drucken Miller. Yeah. They drafted him in the first round. He was supposed to be Steve Young's replacement for whenever Steve Young retired. He had to play a game and he was terrible. They still won the game. And there was a thing on the sideline. I forgot what Drucken Miller did, but Kevin Green decides to headbutt Jim Drucken Miller, who is wearing a helmet with his bare forehead. <laughs> yeah. I remember that too. That's Kevin Green right there. He was only there for a year, right? Niners. Yeah, I think he was only there for a year. Yeah, yeah, that was when he was Niners. hunting for. He was hunting for Super Bowls. Back yeah, then. yeah, but he was such a, a, a natural in there. He would have been a good pro wrestler, especially in the '80s for sure. He would have been a star. Um, like I said, I really liked the match. This is probably Mongo's best match ever. You know, I it kind remember. of all goes down from there as far oh, as yeah. The oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I don't think he practices as much as he did <laughs> on a match here, but um, but the angle was great. I remember being confused when I was younger, but now it makes total sense. The money and everything. I know I got the gist, but I was just like, after all that, you know, after all the beating, he's gonna do that. But but the crowd went nuts, and they were all for it, you know. Yeah. So and then there's. Then Shivani's like, ah, oh, there's, there's, he's shaking the hand of Bobby Heaton, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was good. Uh, so what would you give it? Um, I'm going to give it a solid four. Dave gave it three and a half. All right. Then came Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. They're on this, they're, they're out there with Bischoff. Uh, Bischoff accepted the challenge and out, announces the match for Bash at the Beach. We will actually get the babyface team on the very next Nitro. That That's like the end segment of that mm-hmm. show. So Scott Hall punches Bischoff in the stomach. And I remember thinking like, oh, my God, 
like, you know, at this point of watching television, watching wrestling, Vince, McNa- Vince McMahon has never been punched before. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my God. And he punches Bischoff. Kevin Nash powerbombs him. And he they play it up for everything. Bischoff's shoulder. They stretcher him out. They got to be safe with him. Tony Schiavone's like, hey, Dusty, uh, you got to carry this thing, man, because I got to go check out Bischoff. And Dusty's like, all right. And Dusty's talking about, I, I, at this point, I thought Dusty was going to be one of the babyface side of, of WCW. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then, yeah. I mean, I think the crowd is, is really digging this whole thing. So it's not like Hall and Nash were booed, like you know, bad guys. The crowd is like, oh my gosh, we're about to see something amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, so memorable. Yeah, this is awesome. Great angle. The only negative I have is Kevin Nash's shirt, striped. White and blue shirt. I don't know so, why. So I was gonna say, Kevin Nash dressed in 1996, like I would have dressed in high school uh, in 1994. So he's a couple years late with the with the fashion sense there. I'm sure it's an expensive shirt, <laughs> but <it laughs> Zeke Cavaricci. Did Zeke Cavaricci have uh, straight? Was it Tommy Hilfiger then? I, don't know. <laughs> um, I, I I just. <laughs> I just, I just, it was like the geekiest shirt for a badass, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I was, yeah. Maybe just wear the black, the black, uh, the black t-shirt, man, or something. Yeah, it's like uh, he went to the movies. And he's like, oh yeah, I forgot. Got to go to, got to go to the Baltimore for that pay per view. Maybe he had the black shirt and the black vest going, and they're like, oh no, he can't. We're gonna get sued, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, great legendary angle, man. Five star angle, in my opinion. All right, now we get to the main event, which I had mentioned last uh, last time we talked. So anticlimactic. These guys could do nothing. The idea is that the giant is so big and so strong that even someone as powerful as Lex Luger can't really do anything with him. Lex is a smart baby face, though. And there was a he, he the giant was laying on the in one of the corners on top of the turnbuckle, and it allowed Lex to get underneath him to try and rack him because he wasn't going to be able to get him up like he got normal foes up in in the torture rack. So he goes underneath the giant. He he kind of walks him backwards a little bit to to do the torture rack. But the giant is too heavy. He falls right on Lex. Lex's face with the giant's butt on top of him <laughs> and uh collapses and the giant pins him with a, a choke slam. I always thought that that had to be Pretty painful. Like you can't really do that very gracefully the way that Lex fell. Mm. Yeah, you know, I actually, I know you, you weren't high on this match. I actually liked the match. I thought the psychology was good. You know, they're really putting Giant over strong. Obviously, like he's, I mean, he's throwing the shark quickly. You know, a guy that's uh, four it's, pounds. It's, it's gonna continue. It's yeah. Oh yeah. Continuing. And it should. It should. And Norton. You know, he destroyed Scott Norton. Big, powerful guy. So, like, Luger starts off hot, you know. He starts going after Giant, even at one point, clotheslines on the top rope, but the Giant lands on his feet. And soon after, that's when the Giant takes over. Now you're just going for the Bay face to sell in and make the comeback. And they got into it. That's when Luger guys made the comeback. They got into it. And when he got the rack, which he promised he would do, he got it, but he collapsed under uh, uh, the Giant's weight. And after all the physical punishment, he took two. And I like that. A, a giant man's weight, you know, knocked out Luger, like crushed Luger. Nowadays, like, man, like he sticks 
screwdrivers don't even do it to anyone you know 200 freaking not even 200 pounders and 196 pounders whatever the hell they are and back then like man i remember when things were dangerous like around the ring you know like the uh, the ring post was dangerous now shit no that makes no one none that means nothing anymore so it's cool to see and the giant finishing him off with the big choke slam getting that over man that thing was over that 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 move and he, he did a good one i thought it was a good match i'm gonna give it a solid three i know probably didn't get that big uh high rating from dave but to me a good solid it was a good solid match star and a quarter ah oh, dave he's, <laughs> he's still he was still lavender up after watching mysterio malenko's to i think um all right well that is our pay-per-view uh in hindsight a, a really good show yeah. And like, you know, when when the NWO happened and when the Monday Night Wars were going hot and heavy, I think I assumed and I think a lot of other people assumed that it was thanks to the NWO as far as, you know, really heating up WCW. And they, they are a big part of it because what happens is this show uh, into leads into Monday and they destroy Monday Night Monday Night Raw because yeah. of the what angle. comes out out of the show, the angles that we just yeah. talked about, the angles for Monday. I think and, the, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and in my mind, it was like, of course, it was Hogan turning and becoming the NWO member. That is the reason why Nitro started to pull away. And it's really the the the, the Flair Savage stuff leading yes. into the, the the Scott Hall and Kevin Nash stuff, and then in into this show that that is really kind of lighting you know that that's the the gas that you're about to light with with hogan turning heel yeah the 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 hogan i'm sorry the flair savage stuff was like tying the ball game in the fifth right Mm -hmm. and then the nwo stuff was like running away with it in the eighth and 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 winning you know for a couple years and then they just got their heads up their ass but you know (laughs) but but uh you know the nwo put them put them over the top for a while and, th- and this is a historical show, so we're not really talking about current wrestling, though you could see, and this is why I think, you know, the bloodline angle, they are making sure that it doesn't become the NWO, right? Like they yeah. saw how you take a money angle and then you just tr- try and redo it and redo it and redo it. And it just is not as good the second time or the third time. Yeah. And they're they're really being careful with this bloodline thing because there are historical uh, angles you can go into the past and go, man, like they had this big thing, and then why did it die so you know so fast, or or why did it die like it did? And the bloodline, I think they've learned. You know, this is probably one of the one of the angles where they're like, we cannot do the NWO. Like we gotta really really be patient and map this thing out and be disciplined and really you know key up certain things and. You know, not, you know, we got to work together. Like, you know, I'm sure it's easy for, mm-hmm. it'd be easy for Roman to go, hell no, I'm not getting pinned by Jay Uso. What are you thinking? And it's like, nope, you're getting pinned by Jay Uso, buddy. Uh, and that's what, he, that's what drives this next giant rating is now people mm-hmm. see Jay as, as being a possible guy. So just really, really let's, great stuff with the, with the bloodline. Let's circle back on the, this, because I think they are, they are pulling the right, strings with the, the bloodline angle but will it go into nwo territory post wrestlemania next year next are they year still yeah. 
blood. I think that's when I think next year is like next year's WrestleMania is a good endpoint for Roman, at least yeah. as the champion. If they go yeah. past that again, then we're, I think we can see a decline in, in the interest of it. Cause now, I mean, I know. think that that WrestleMania match, the second he loses his title, the story becomes him eventually turning back baby face, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but, and, but you can't just rush it. You're going to have to take some steps to get there as well. Cause oh, he's going to yeah, be at the sure. bottom. He, he's going to, he's losing everything. Right. And so how do you tell the story of the man who loses everything and how does he make his comeback? Yes, exactly. All right. That is it for uh, this part two of uh, WCW 96. And our next story is going to be about the time between this show and Bash at the Beach, which is the big Hogan turn. And like I said uh, in the last episode, we're going to try and do this next one quickly because we do want to catch up to the actual uh, chronological time frame in which we are recording these things. So uh, for John, I'm Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.